0: So uh I didn't get to the the track this week. Yeah. I know we had talked about this week like you were going to do it. So mm-hmm. what um did you get it?
1: No. Uh I mean I don't know. A- as you can see You see oh,
0: that? yeah. Yeah, there's a skull in your amp.
1: Yeah. So he's the reason why I didn't get to it. Um
0: yeah, it's, that's one of the first things that I learned when I was in music school is anytime there's any sort of like um, uh, skull or skeleton, you know, uh, Dia de los Muertos mask or anything like that, you can't use the amp. Um, Something so, like that.
1: Yeah, understandable. Let's, let's just say he won't be missed. So moving on.
0: He won't be missed. Welcome to Dipped in Tone, everyone. This is episode
1: 16? 16,
0: right? 16. Wow. Look at us. Look at that. 16 weeks in a row, we've done this. What a time to be alive, huh? Uh, I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. Yeah. So uh we got a we had a fun topic lined up. There's our GIF, our favorite GIF, (laughs) Paul Rudd in the chat. Our Savior. Uh, Shout out to the chat, everyone. We've got our uh, our Discord chat going on. If you want to join while we record live every week on Friday mornings, you can uh join our Patreon link down below. Uh, we don't have merch this week, but next week, next week will be the week. It will it probably, maybe I don't know. Well it's not happening this week. It'll probably happen at some point in the next weeks. I'm assuming.
1: If, um, if not this year, then definitely next year.
0: It definitely next year. Definitely next year. 2021's looking up. Um, got a couple of oh my god! Somebody just posted a crazy <laughs> in the chat. I'm uh, seeing it couple of things to plug. If you're new sure. here, welcome. Please subscribe. If you're on YouTube, subscribe, ring the bell so you can be notified whenever our episodes go live. And uh, you guys should share. You should share the show with your favorite, with your guitar buddies, maybe your bandmates,
1: you know? There's that little arrow that you yeah. click it and then it gives you a link and you just copy and paste and just, you know, email everyone in your your contact list, text everyone right. in your phone. Yep, yep. Uh, send
0: it out through your company. Maybe if there's like a company-wide yeah. memo email or something you can a, do, yeah, that's a, a really newsletter. cool thing to do. Yeah, newsletters are fun. Uh, um, email your local representatives, city council. They probably right. want to hear about us. L- um,
1: letter to the editor of your local newspaper.
0: Yeah. Um, what are those? Uh, what What were those um, love uh, guru columns that they used to do, where you could like write in to that? Or those like yeah, Dear Abby letters dear or something Andy. like that? Thanks. Yeah, you could write it into Dear Abby. Share the show that way. That's right. Um, post on Craigslist. Craigslist personal ads, really good spot, you know, a podcast you have to hear, man. Uh, And then (laughs) shout out to uh, (laughs) our, uh, our editor and mixer extraordinaire, uh, Milton down at blue feather recording. He is editing and mixing the show for us now. Uh, If you want recording and editing and mixing uh, stuff done, you can check out blue feather recording. We'll have that linked down below as well.
1: Yeah, he fixes so, uh, all my Zach- mistakes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. If you've noticed, the show sounds a lot better in the last couple of weeks. That's thanks to Milton's.
1: Uh, who knew experience and talent actually, uh, <laughs> hey, means something in this H- world? Who would have thought, man? Hell.
0: Um, I mean, hell. That's it. So what's new with you, Zach?
1: What? No. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I woke up today and I had no idea uh, no idea what day it was, and then. Yeah, I watched me neither. The Mandalorian. Or the saw there's the new episode of The Mandalorian. I was like, oh, it must be Friday. Um this week's just been a blur. I uh, I finished all the Positron Colliders, my Ghostbuster inspired buzz pedal. So those nice. are gonna be shipping today. And nice. man, that's been that's been it. Um really. oh uh, uh, I did get to go to Novo Guitars yesterday. Yeah. And see. All the new cool stuff that we can finally now talk about, but maybe we can get into that in a second. Uh, how was right. your week? What'd you do?
0: Same, same deal, just head down in the grind, you know. Um worked on a video, starting another video right now called What is the woman sound? The woman tone.
1: Woman sound.
0: Clapton. The woman sound. The old what's Clapton that woman. woman? Uh, what's that woman sound. Hey, you tell that woman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, actually this is I, I had this idea yesterday and I got really excited about it. And uh usually when I'm really excited to make videos, I generally make good videos. So um I borrowed a hundred watt plexi from, from Rick Beato. Was playing that last night. Boy, that's a jolly mint. That's the first time I've ever really spent time with like a real hundred watt hand wired Marshall. Man. And uh plugging a plugging a Les Paul straight into the front of that thing, using the aux, obviously, because I can't you know, I couldn't be in the same county with the thing if it was, you know, running full blast. So oh.
1: ha, yeah. Have you ever cranked a hundred watt marshall and like stood right in front of it and played it? Like on no. like a full stack?
0: No, I haven't no? because I would I would like to be able to hear it, you know, for the rest of my life.
1: I uh I've done it a few times. Um and <laughs> it's 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 always like it's painful, but it's it's so. It
0: hurts so good. It hurts so
1: good, yeah. <laughs> but the the <clears throat> I think the best guitar amp sound I've ever heard, bar none, was a 1969 Super Tremolo, which was Ooh. essentially like a uh, like a blues breaker, only 100 watts, and uh, it was a purple full stack. It shipped in 1970. It was kind of crazy because every the head, the top cab, and the bottom cab all had different um, Marshall logos because nice. they were built at different intervals and then shipped in 1970. So the wow. head and the top cab are 69, but the logos were slightly different. And the bottom cab was a 70, and the logo was different. But I played that with a 58 Les Paul, a real one, and it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice. Amazing. Yeah, that's... Uh, I have played... There's a thing that happens when you play big, high wattage, like heavy hitting amps through a cabinet that doesn't happen, I think, with lower wattage amps. It's this... Uh, I call it the thud. It's yes. this sort of initial attack on the note that it's like a concussive thing that you feel in your chest. I've played um, uh, Jubilee. I've played JCM 800s. I've played a, like a Laney clip through a 412. And those big heavy hitting high wattage amps, they do this thing where it's just moving air. It's yeah. like you're just moving a ton of air. And if you're standing in front of it, every note that you pick, there's you literally like you feel it in your chest. And it's uh ooh, it's intoxicating. Yeah, I love
1: this, it. It's something I think with a four x twelve, like a closed back like that too. It's like yeah. it just hits in a different way. Uh, but just so, hits different. Yeah. Are are you you, you're gonna? Are you gonna be hunting a hundred watt Marshall now?
0: I am. A, a hundred watt Marshall is in my future. Uh, probably gonna have to wait till we buy a house. Um, although, dude, these reissues, these hand wired reissues, they're not crazy money. Like you can pick them up used for seventeen hundred bucks, something like that. Oh, I was looking bucks. last
1: night, uh, right after because I, I hopped in on your live, and, and well, you hopped in on mine, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and I looked them up, and like they were over two. when I saw. Them. Ah, shit.
0: Well. So, I had an opportunity last year to buy buy one for like 1700. So I should have done that.
1: Yeah, the hand-wired ones are legit.
0: Yeah, they're really good. Um and you can run them at 50 watts. You just take two of the power tubes out and run at 50 watts. My friend uh Tyler Bryant does. Um so that was fun. Also played my first Abbasi Concepts guitar yesterday. Mm. Um also down at Beato's place and I got to admit I really liked it. It's like the complete antithesis of everything that I know about guitars. And it's completely different than any other guitar I've ever owned. But it's a seven string, you know, the Tosin Abasi thing. Um, And it was cool, man. It was really, really cool. Like the ergonomically, like putting it in your lap, it's perfect. It just Mm -hmm. sits right where you want it to sit. The fan frets were cool. So I think I'm gonna put that on my twenty twenty one gear acquisition list. I'm gonna get an Bossi <laughs> and a Hanroth Marshall and just play dad blues on a seven string
1: all day. <laughs> I uh yeah, that would that would be uh quite the sight, I think. The uh <laughs> the FanFret thing really interests me because I I played a Strandberg. Strandberg or Strandberg?
0: Mm, I think it's Strandberg.
1: Strandberg? I played one of those and it was um, uh, my buddy Kevin Agnes, I, I honestly don't know how to say his last name, he's an incredible guitarist, has a great Instagram page, but he has a couple of those and he brought one over that had the fan fret and it have, they have such an interesting neck shape. It's really, yeah, like the back profile is really, you think it's weird at first and then you kind of get used to it, but the fan fret, just like, for my dumb hand, kind of works. Yeah. And I would like to one day have one, but I I don't want to drop the money on like a nice one. I feel like I should just get like a like one of those cheap Rondo music Uh, (laughs) support things. So
0: Beto in the chat saying, "What if Novo did a headless guitar? Would you still grab it?" Absolutely not. I should have talked about this in the uh, peeve's episode last week. Dipped in peeve. I uh, I cannot. I cannot do a headless guitar here it just can't do it I, I don't care who makes it I don't care what it is if it doesn't have a headstock to me it just looks so wrong I can't handle it yeah so yeah that's the Schramberg thing I know they're great they're beautiful instruments uh, my friend Keith from five out world he's got one he loves it uh, not knocking the instrument at all I'm just saying aesthetically I can't handle the headless headless guitar
1: yeah so did you plug in the uh, and, um
0: You know, I actually did. I didn't. Um, oh, okay. So I, I went over to Beato Studio yesterday to work on this Warmer Tone video, and I, we just there was a big problem. Something was wrong with this outboard rack, and we spent three hours basically troubleshooting the patch bay <laughs> instead of working uh, on a video. So I ended up just taking the Plexi home uh, and just going to make the video here. But it actually works out because... Now, this will allow me to do the what is the Plexi sound video. Um, so, I'm going to try and knock that out. So, you mentioned earlier you went down to Novo yesterday. I did. Novo's got a, got a new lineup, huh?
1: They do. Yeah. Well, they kind of changed everything, really. Um, yeah. Because they announced two new models uh, and then one new, like, kind of like an entirely new concept. Uh, And then they restructured how they're kind of how they're selling guitars. So they announced the Voltur, which uh, you have the Proto, I guess, right?
0: Oh, I I had. I had to send it back. They were not keen on letting me keep that one for almost a year, like the uh, Solus. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I had to send that back. Uh,
1: And then they made the Solus H2, which was... yeah, um, It's... Kind of like the M1, but it has a two pneumatic and two open coil humbuckers, um, and that's those are now part of the. I don't even know if you can get them in the like cut completely custom, but they have Novo Select, which is basically like the most like bare minimum options. It's it's kind of like the greatest hits for each model, yeah. and then they right. have the custom range, which is basically what it has been, where you can spec almost anything they've kind of pared it down a little bit they've taken away an infinite number of finish options and um everything but they've added more things like compound radius and and that sort of thing and then now they have i don't even know the what they're calling it the new line that dennis is doing pretty much everything on uh um, yeah which is called novo signature and yeah, so, dude,
0: that Novo signature line is something else, man. Yeah. Um, they're, they're expensive, and they are, you know, you, you kind of get what you get, but that's sort of the beauty of it, in that Dennis basically gets to do whatever he wants. It's like his concept, his idea, and he's building them from start to finish. And having gotten my hands on a couple of them, it's... uh they're special they're really really special i'm gonna have one at some point i'm gonna try and get in line there was one that they did uh uh, two months ago or something like that Uh uh-huh the white solace with the german carve uh we'll have to post Uh a picture of it here yeah um that one i saw that one when it was before it was finished at, at dennis's office and holy shit yeah it was amazing Uh, And I tried to get it, but as soon as they posted on Instagram, somebody somewhere got
1: it. And that's one of those guitars that, the moment you see it, that you go into a, a panic trying to open your internet browser on your phone. Um, Yeah. And uh, Casey in the chat just mentioned that you can still get a Soulless custom, but um, I should clarify the select thing. Like I said, it's just like it's it's most models with just like limit. You can just pick like your body color your pick guard color and i think and that's the the bare minimum Um,
0: and i think they're doing that to help with production because the the thing with novos up until recently is like you could pretty much every order from them was like a custom order right like people would even if they went through a dealer which they're going direct now but even if they went through a dealer they would end up working directly with the customer to like spec everything out custom which you can still do but that was leading to, like, long wait times and and back orders and stuff. And so I think the idea here is to basically be able to say, like, okay, cool, we're going to crank these out. You pick your color, you pick your pick guard, you know, and and you go from there. And I think they're going to be really successful with those. The other cool thing that's about the Solus is it's a smaller body than the Saris. And so for smaller players, that's one, like, complaint that I've seen people talk about with the Saris line is they are big. I mean, they're big, yeah. big guitars, which I love. Um, but I'm a I'm a tallman. I'm a big boy. So they fit me really well. But for smaller people, they can be a little bit overwhelming. The Solus body shape is quite a bit smaller and more manageable than the Saris is. And I think a lot of people who might want a Novo but don't like the size of the Saris or maybe the shape of the Saris are going to gravitate towards the Solus.
1: Yeah. And now that there's the two pickup Solus H2, which, I you know, I there's been, as many people that like everything, there has been some blowback uh not blowback that might be a little too extreme a term but some some people that aren't too excited about what they're what they've done with the the voltur and the the voltur yeah it's definitely
0: polarizing yeah
1: Yeah. it's different but it was one of those things you know i saw it and i was like okay and then the more i see it the more i like it but i you know that's not going to be everybody but you know that they make more shapes than that so if you don't like it you there's plenty of options out there for you.
0: So, I had I had the prototype here. I played on Backstage Live. Yep. Casey just dropped it in the chat. That solace.
1: Man. Cool. And if oh my you haven't God. gone to the <laughs> website and seen the pictures that our, our buddy John, John Ron Collado at the guitar photographer took, um, yep. he goes there because he lives real close to the Novo shop. And so he can swing by and take fancy pictures. There's some fancy pictures of that guitar, and it just makes you go, oh. <laughs> 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 anyway sorry the solace is-
0: um yeah dude the solace that thing is is special man it is yeah. it is really really special um i don't know who got it though i i texted matthew as soon as i saw the post and i was like hey i want it like what's how much does it cost i want it like can we put it on layaway? can we do something right <laughs> and he's like
1: oh i just sold yeah. so
0: that, i don't that,
1: know where it went <sighs> it, it's the same thing with those ones that were like look like a whiskey barrel or something you know like all yeah those, yeah yeah they've sold in like minutes but you know uh mine i when when matt asked me to come by i was like oh man i'm gonna get my guitar <laughs> and i got there and we just started talking and he said hey you want to see your guitar and i was like yeah and we started walking to like the uh, final assembly area and he's like oh it's yeah. not done yet it's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> damn it Shit. <laughs> so it was like in the rack. So the neck is done and the body's done, but they have to pair them. And I and I guess they'll probably pleck them. Uh yeah. pleck it. But yeah. yeah uh, he said next week. Maybe. We'll see.
0: Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. So yeah, uh, listen, we're both uh we're both novo fanboys, so I uh I have no problem dedicating some of our show to, to what those guys are doing. Because um you couldn't ask for nicer human beings to work with than the entire team at Novo. They are the most down to earth and cool people ever. They've all become super close friends of mine. Mm-hmm. I know same thing for you. Yeah. Um, the staff over there, the builders, you know, Steven and, and Benny and, and all of them like they're killer. So Yeah. Yeah. It it's that's reason enough to shill for Novo because they are uh they're good 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 crew over there
1: yeah it's just one of those things it's like you know they make a great product and they're good people it's like why like there's nothing not to like you know well i mean I, yeah if you don't like the body shapes that's i guess that's something not to that's like. fine but yeah
0: well there you go you can't but play one
1: yeah it, regardless of how the like the looks of them uh i've never played a bad one i've played some that weren't for me but i've never played yeah. one that i was like does it's not doing anything it's like they're all yeah. doing a thing you know
0: Yeah, dude, they, they really, I'm I'm telling you, telling you, Dennis Fano will go down as one of the best guitar builders and designers of all time. I 100% believe that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's truly gifted at what he does. So, yeah, so there you go. Check out Novo. Um, by the way, we haven't been paid or anything to say that we just, Uh, not yet, (laughs) not yet. (laughs) Um, Matthew did say he wanted to come on the show. He wanted to come on our podcast. He's like, "Hey, man, I was just thinking, like, maybe I could come on and we could just talk about Nova for an hour." I was like, "Eh, maybe, maybe we'll see."
1: <laughs> I, I we feel like uh, I feel like we should do that, but I, I, it will. I'd say we get away from the topic pretty quickly, and who knows? Yeah, what exactly. we're Talking about,
0: I don't want to talk about Nova for an entire hour. Um, so, on to the topic at hand: tube amps. I've been thinking about this uh, a lot recently. You know, with the proliferation and the advancement that we've seen in the digital world, the modeling world, things like that, you know, what is the future of tube amps? What does it look like? What is is the analog guitar sound going away? Um, and and this kind of came to a head for me this week because I got shipped a loaner unit of the Quad Cortex um, from Neural DSP, and uh, they they're loaning me one for review. I got to play it for a few days and then they emailed me and said that there's an issue with one of the parts. And so I'm sending that one back (laughs) so they can get it rectified. Um, I have all the confidence in the world that they'll get the thing right before they, they ship them out to the public. But that being said, my initial, I spent like a day playing with it and like creating some presets and everything. And, uh, Definitely don't have enough experience to do any kind of like comprehensive review, but my initial thoughts on it were it's really good. I mean, I think it's really really good. It sounds great. I think Helix, depending on where it's going to sit price wise, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what it's going to retail for, but Helix is going to have a run for its money. Uh, I think Ax Effects is going to have a run for its money. Um, so, but I don't necessarily think. That this spells the end for the tube amp. What do you right.
1: think? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think. I mean, my biggest concern, and I think this is uh, the Quad Cortex is sixteen hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, dude. At that price, phew, Line Six's got a <laughs> they've got a target on their back. I think.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think you know the biggest concern is is just tubes. You know, because there's only a few factories still making tubes you know and a lot of people throw shade at modern tube production um understandably so but i you know i feel like most of the guys out there who are doing it right are doing a great job and Mm. but it's it doesn't feel like an infinite resource you know even you know when i started playing guitar you know the tubes like the conversation of tubes going away was never a thing, and it's something that we started to hear creep into conversation over the past couple of years. And I think it's something that we all need to take into consideration. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you feel like that sort of completely antiquated tech is going to be around forever? Um,
0: I so the tube thing is an interesting discussion. Uh, we've touched on it here before in the show in the past and I I I got I talked to Dave Friedman about it uh briefly on the Tone Talk show. Mm-hmm. And Dave's thing was that tube production's not going to go away anytime soon, he doesn't think. Um with that said, you know, the only two places that are producing tubes nowadays are Russia and China, primarily China, yeah. because it's insanely like we we'll never have mass scale tube production coming back to north america anytime soon because it's terrible (laughs) for the environment it's terrible for the people that work in the factories there's a reason it is a completely outdated antiquated technology that we did away with in the 70s basically um there are some some industries that still exist very very small uh that that require tube production there's some like medical equipment like medical lasers and stuff that require tubes but the reality is the Audio market is still, I think, probably the, the last holdout in the tube world, but I don't think that'll last forever. What I think might happen is somebody will engineer a direct replacement tube alternative. Somebody out there will, will come up with something that you know, has a tube socket on it, but is maybe some kind of transistor-based thing. Or, or something that you basically plug into your amps to either replace the tubes outright or try and preserve the tubes. I don't know. Um, right. But that's only one part of this discussion. I mean, there's no question that tube amplification is a dinosaur. It's a relic. But it is integral to how guitar players and bass players make sounds. And it's not going away anytime soon. Um, the digital world, I think, is taking over but i i just don't think it'll it'll replace it anytime soon
1: i mean i think with what fender has done with the tone master is definitely a step in the right direction to where there's there's an alternative that really can keep up as far as like i mean not like comparing this um to a deluxe reverb is kind of apples and oranges right you know and while this does sound good and you know when i run it through the power it for those listening, I have an HX stomp. When I run it through the power cab, even set with I have the IR of the same speaker in my deluxe, it gets kind of close, but it's not the same. But I do think right. I think that design has come so far to take transistors, to take these tube alternatives. And, and granted, I don't I have very little experience with stuff like the the Korg new tube. Have you messed with that at all? Do you, no, you know what I'm I talking haven't. about? No. Yeah you've, yeah. Yeah, you've seen it. It's like a Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know what it is or how it works. But those sort of things are becoming an option because I know the the power section of an amp is crucial into creating the sound of a tube amp. But I think getting the preamp right is probably the harder part of it and I think yeah that we very much we're we're starting to skirt the line between solid state and tube technology that it it's not as far apart as it used to be because design has come so so far and you know it's like at a point we kind of have to stop and say does all this really matter as much as you know we're making it out to be because if you're No running, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. If you're running a tube amp and you have a pedal board and you have always on pedals you're running through a you know a solid state or a digital pedal in front of your amp, like what I know the amp is doing, it's definitely doing something, but it's not doing as much as it could as as if you were plugging straight in or using the bare minimum setup. So,
0: Right. I think think there's a couple of different angles to this that I see. You're right. In the grand scheme of things, most guitar players out there, I think over the next 10 years, will transition to some kind of digital alternative to an analog tube setup. Um, I think the prosumer market, right? The people that play at home, they play for fun, they're gonna get, you know, as as these digital modeling amps and all this kind of stuff gets better, you look at the boss the popularity of the katana, for example. Like everyone has a katana because it sounds good. It it works great. It sounds good, it's affordable, it does all the sounds that like an at home player would want to do. I've even seen people gig with them and get good sounds out of them that way. Things like the Helix, things like, you know, Kempers and stuff. Although I think Kempers are kind of on the way out, to be honest. I think they need to kind of step up and get whatever the next version of the Kemper out is if they want to stay relevant in the marketplace. But um, so there's that side, which I think will we're already seeing a huge adaptation and adoption of the digital stuff. Then there's like the more pro market, right, which I think is more where you and I reside, which is we, you know, really care about that 5% difference between the analog and the digital thing. And there's kind of two sides to that. There's the studio side, which I think the studio environment will be the last bastion of great tube amps, right? Because you see it with recording gear. Great, uh, you know, a lot of even at home studios, people are holding on to vintage mics and, and vintage outboard gear and, and all this stuff, because in the studio where you're working under a microscope and you're trying to get the best results possible, that two, three percent difference between the old vintage analog gear, And the modern reissue or the tube thing uh, or the, the modeling thing really matters. Then there's the live side. And the live side for me is mostly aesthetic. I think having toured with things like the Helix, I've played the Helix live a lot. And it works exceptionally well live. I've used the Kemper live a lot. It works exceptionally well live. The thing that it doesn't do is look right. Right, right. Especially for like a guitar-based band or something like that. Like with with my band, um, I almost said the name again. <laughs> yeah. You know, the idea for us is to start. You know, once the pandemic lifts, to go out and start playing and playing shows and and actually doing it. I can't imagine like playing in that band, which is like a psychedelic rock soul thing, going out and playing live with something like an Axe or a Quad Cortex on stage because it doesn't fit the aesthetic. And the aesthetic matters for a live show. When you buy a ticket to go see a band, whether you realize it or not, part of the show is the visual aspect, like the stage, right? It's not just right. the lights and everything, but it's like seeing the amps on stage and the drums and everything. That stuff matters, especially for a guitar-driven act. And at least for what I do, which is like kind of the older school psychedelic rock soul thing there's something about having a real tube amp on stage that's pushing air for the aesthetic value
1: right well could you do like the a false cab and a head and just put like an LED in the indicator light so it looks like it's on and it's going through I just I feel like
0: with that amount of effort like just bring the real amp well okay and Hold bring on. bring an ox and but, just use the ox
1: like let's say let's say you get to the point where you, you're gigging again and the cab is not just a cab; it's hollow, right? So you can put all your merch. You can put all your stuff. It could just be like a road case. <laughs> sure. And it's hollowed off, and you can have the back on like magnets. Just pop it off. See. <laughs> and then you're just, just great one big thing. I've solved all your trouble. Now every time you, you solved gig, all my problems. Every time you gig from now on, people are gonna be like, "Let me check behind there."
0: I, I have seen that before. I have I've played with. Like opening spots where there's like a wall of marshals and it's just a false, it's a facade. And like they have one, like a, a head and a 212 back there, mic'd up. Um, I mean, but the other side of it too is like, again, looking at people like Tosin Abasi, Animals as Leaders, there's that whole side of like the progressive metal scene. And, and like, I think people that are really taking guitar and pushing it to the next generation where the sounds they're going for are not tube amps. You know, I was watching an interview with Tosin, um, last week where he was talking about his the new record that they were recording, and the sound that he had in his head. They tried with a bunch of tube amps, and they tried a bunch of stuff, and he ended up going to his plugin, the the neural DSP plugin, and using that for the whole record because that was the sound that he was going for. Mm. And you can't easily pull that sound off with the old analog gear. So I think for those guys, they've already a lot of them have already moved past the old tube stuff because they want that newer sound.
1: Right. And I mean, I've been to well, my best, one of my closest friends, Alex, he, uh, he's into metal and every now and again, when there's a show near me, he like, he drags me It, it just drags me. <laughs> I come willingly, but uh, you know, it's not like music I listen to that often, but the one thing about a lot of like bigger metal bands or bands that actually have a following on the stage, it's usually just empty and it's just the dudes yeah. with the wireless and nothing on stage, and they got fractals or something, you know, backstage, and they just have a really clean setup, because they have, like, pyro, and they're running around and stuff. Right. But, uh, like, there's a part of me that kind of digs that aesthetic, too, because, I mean, granted, you know, some of these guys are really mobile, and they're, you know, really interacting with the audience, and that's a whole thing um, that I don't know if I, it would be more effective for me to see a wall of, like, dual rectifier cabs or something but yeah at the same time like when i was a teenager i would go to a bunch of punk rock shows and like those guys would bring a whole wall of Marshalls and like do that and th- but they would yeah. really plug them up you know it's just like the the aesthetic is totally a thing and it's something that you can't uh, i mean uh, it-, it it's a balancing act right like are you willing yeah. to like put forth that much effort to bring that much equipment to play a gig um or should you just bring something that works really well and sounds great and saves your back, but you sacrifice that, that however many percent of cool that you lose for not having a cab and an amp back there?
0: Yeah, I think, I think the aesthetic, it's, it's another like, layer of expression that a band or an artist has. right? Like The visual aspect of the show really matters. Because as people, especially as guitar players, we hear with our eyes a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, I totally do like I, I i will and aesthetically for me and what i like you know i've been using the axe effects a lot lately and it sounds really really good i mean you can't deny it just sounds good and it works and it does the thing but i would rather see that behind me right? The, right the the marshall with the you know the logo and the tolex and the the plexi panel and everything um and so that's why I think companies like Fender with the Tone Master thing, I think they've kind of got it dialed. It's like, I, I look at Tesla, right? Tesla was the first car company that I think fully understood if you want people to adopt an electric car, you have to make it look good. Before that, right. all these hybrids and electric cars looked like, you know, a a, a running shoe or some weird, right. yeah. like goofy uh, computer. It looked like an appliance. And Tesla and Elon Musk, they they designed a car that looked great, that people wanted to drive and wanted because it it had the look, it has the classic shape, it has the thing. I think companies need to start adopting that more in terms of the amp market where you can get something that, you know, I I like, and I take heat for saying this, I like the ToneMaster Deluxe better than the tube version because what I view the role of like a deluxe reverb reissue, not a real blackface, but like a reissue, to me, that's like a workhorse amp. That's an amp that you buy to take to a bar and beat the shit out of or take to rehearsal or whatever. And to me, I think the Tone Master does a better job of that role than the tube version does. Don't at me in the chat. Um, I commented that on the, um, that pedal show episode where they did the deluxe shootout and God, people, I think even, even Mick commented like, damn are you sure about that <laughs> you know
1: well uh, i mean i i think that i mean now that because we got it wrong on when we first mentioned the tone master that we wish that you could update it and now you can um with, you can there is a usb there's a usb on the back and i think you can take that new blonde version where it's like the bright cap is clipped and all that and update the black one to sound like that
0: yeah, comments okay, good. will let
1: me let us know but i i think that you can do that now which is perfect and honestly, like that's my biggest gripe is like, why would you emulate that stupid bright cap? You don't need it. <laughs> like the fixing those little things and shifting it to a direction to where it's it's just like sorting out all the problems that we don't really need. Like we don't need those solutions now, um, like yeah. we used to. We we don't play desperately clean and need a bright, clean sound when the volume's on two anymore. Right. That's not how it works. So why not change it? I understand it's a reissue, but I—I I mean, I, I'm gonna—I'm gonna say that I think in the next five years we're gonna see pretty much every brand sort of have that—that that, those paralleling, paralleling, those parallel products where we have the tube amp that is the, you know, the homage or pushing the brand in that direction, but we're also gonna have the solid state thing that kind of encapsulates like a snapshot of what makes this this company great. Or at least I hope that's right. what happens, because I mean, how incredible would it be to have a Marshall like, you know, J JTM forty five or, you know, Super Lead or whatever that is built around the same sort of topology that the the Tone Master is.
0: Right. Right. And so I need to to go back to the Tone Master thing, then I need to to apologize because I've said on this podcast and publicly about not being able to update the tone master i'm pretty sure um, he can so i was wrong uh, apparently i was wrong uh ambrosia <laughs> in the chat saying they can now so apologies i spoke out of ignorance and out of line so you know well, my bad
1: people have to remember there's only so much information that all of us can digest <laughs> you know
0: right but but to be fair i'm you know claiming to you know i'm someone on the internet that is offering reviews from the perspective of being like some kind of expert so i need to do a better job of being on top of that kind of stuff but i agree and i think this is going to have multiple effects you know i think about like marshall for example if they came out with a 100 watt super lead plexi tone master for lack of a better term that looked like the real thing it was the same size same tolex same everything same controls on the front uh but weighed like 12 pounds <laughs> and had you know the the modeling on the inside. First of all, they would sell a ton of them because it kind of ticks the boxes, right? It looks right and it sounds right, assuming they get the the algorithm and everything right. Yeah. And then I think what would be super cool moving forward, you know, I've been a huge fan of things like the aux and the captor X, taking that technology and embedding it in the amp head. Where maybe there's an app and you connect to your head with your iPad and you can go through and like pick. They have every famous Marshall cab with all the speakers and they have the different preamps and they have all the stuff. You combine that into one head, it makes a lot of sense for live playing, for studio playing. It looks right, it sounds right. And I think it'll work to preserve the legacy and the value of the original tube amp. Because people will see that and then they'll look at the tube version and be like, oh, well, that's the real thing, right? It's right. the authentic thing. It's got the tubes. It's got the, the transformers and, and everything. And so there will be a market of people that will always want that thing. I think that's going to happen regardless. W- regardless of whatever happens in the digital world and scarcity of tubes, the reason tube amps are never going to die is because there's always going to be people out there that want the real thing.
1: Yeah. i think yeah totally uh <clears throat> hunty boo in the chat said that he <laughs> thinks the the cheap amps will go away and all the boutique guys will keep making the tube thing and you know they'll right. keep that market alive and i think that that's probably going to be true i mean i can't foresee fender ever stopping you know the the production of a deluxe reverb reissue tube amp or or what they've been doing with all the tweed stuff and because they've been knocking it out of the park with these elevated reissues of of classic amps but yeah the tone master the katana i mean pretty much everybody now has their foot in that door and they're, they're they've never been doing a better job as they have been doing now and i mean honestly i think the katana of all of them just from a price point uh, a sound point
0: <laughs> yeah sound point like the,
1: <laughs> the sound point i feel like it they're really great and they don't cost very much money at all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gotta be one of the best selling amps of the past couple of years.
0: Absolutely. Um, and and it sounds good, man. The ones that I've heard. Now I've never played one, but I've I've played gigs where uh earlier this year, one of the like two gigs that I played this year, the opening band where we were playing, the guitar player had a katana and it sounded fantastic. Like standing out in front of a house, it sounded great. He was a great player. But right, you know, now there is there's a dark side though to this technology it's what we were kind of talking about earlier. You look at the Kemper, for example. The second that a Kemper 2.0 or something like that comes out, all of these Kempers now are worth whatever. I mean, they're going to be worth pennies on the dollar, right? Because technology, it's like buying a computer or buying a television, right? When it first comes out, you're going to pay a premium for it. And you'll, you'll get a few years out of use out of it, a few years of use out of it. But Especially with the digital world, as as the modeling stuff gets better, as the algorithms get better, as the options get better, as the user interface gets better, people are going to want to move towards that newer thing and the old stuff is not going to be worth much. Whereas like you buy, you know, if, so uh, pick any tube amp, whatever. If you Especially if you buy it used, right? It's like buying a used car. Let someone else eat the initial depreciation on it. And then you sit on it that thing inevitably is going to hold its value so long as it stays in good condition and it's the right, you know, kind of amp, you're always going to have your, your money, you know, your equity in that asset that if you ever needed to or wanted to, you could get out of. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, that's something I hadn't even thought about how Kempers, whenever that next Kemper is going to come out they're those old ones are just going to be, yeah, probably cut in half but yeah and, and that might be good for them you know then like more people are going to get into that and that might you know i don't maybe not i don't know maybe i mean the thing is like
0: it's just because we're dealing in like the digital world now like the kemper just it even looks dated now like the the display on the front and and everything like compared to the helix compared to the um the axe effects 3 and now the neural dsp thing like it just looks dated Neural yeah, DSP, it, I think, is going to kill it with this quad cortex because I think they're the first people that have really figured out the user interface on a digital thing right now because you have the touchscreen. And it just is intuitive. We've all been using these for the past 15 years or however long. So we all know it, it just it works. You know, whereas with the Axe effects and with the Helix, in order to really work efficiently in it, you have to be tethered to your computer. You have to be using the editor, or else you're like hitting these buttons and going through submenus. It's not intuitive. Quad Cortex, um, I had it the other day and just spent a few hours with it and just dialed up a preset, and you just sit there with it and it, it's great. It makes sense. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, so yeah. M- Morgan, uh, one day I was in here playing with the the HX Stomp, and I had um. I had my laptop and I was like in the floor with it, and I had all this stuff like scattered around me, and it was all plugged <laughs> in and like flashing lights. And she was like, "What are you doing?" My my biggest gripe about the HX Stomp, uh, from a a user interface standpoint, is I think the the touch the capacitive touch foot switches where you can like assign things. Yeah, you know, I think that's cool in concept until uh, you accidentally touch it and it takes you out of whatever you're. Right, like working on, um, but you're absolutely right. The the user interface on most things, like the Kipper, looks like a, it's got a Game Boy screen, like an original. It does big yeah. Game Boy screen. Um, yeah. Whereas the you know the Helix and the HX Stomp, it's like the Game Boy Advance. You know, you're moving a little bit up, but uh, but yeah, the, <laughs> having uh, I mean, uh, having that sort of intuitive interface, I think, is crucial, and that's something that's just going to continue to get better. Better D- does that. Does the quad cortex have? Is the touchscreen like responsive? Does it does it feel right? Because that yes.
0: Yeah, so, it, so I I again, that's one of those things that I, I want to wait to judge on, especially now knowing that there's an issue with the the one that I got. That what what I was told was there's an issue with a component that will cause the screen to go unresponsive, and they caught it in their first initial like prototype production run, which is good. Um, so. With that said, take this with a complete grain of salt because I don't think this will be representative of the final product. I'll find out whenever I get the replacement unit on loan. It was, it, it's not iPhone or Android responsive, right? Right. But it is fast enough that it doesn't really bother you. And it, I did have a couple issues where it was like, okay, I, I'm in this menu and I wanna go back and like the back button was kind of too small and I was having to like peck at it three or four times to get it to go. Um, right. it's not crazy high resolution, right? It's not like a super OLED display when you get up on top of it if it's on your desk or something you can see the pixels, you can kind of see it's not but again this isn't, you know, we're not talking about something you're going to be watching movies on. It's it fulfills right. its purpose really well. The other cool thing about the quad or the quad cortex is the foot switches are also encoders. So uh, when you pull up a preset i was having a lot of trouble like trying to dial in something by putting my finger on the screen and like scrolling up and down and then i realized like oh wait a second each one of these knobs is assigned to one of the foot switches in the bank and so you can literally just go down and twist the foot switch and it's an encoder so it's a stepped that, encoder and like to me i was like that's crazy. brilliant that's brilliant because you don't have the one thing I, I don't like about the Helix interface is you have the one big encoder that you kind of have to move around or you have the smaller ones. I mean, the, the Helix works well, but to me, this is a much more elegant solution. It keeps, keeps the whole top of the unit clean. Um, it, they seem to be really high quality. It, I mean, Neural DSP and uh, Dark Glass because they're the same company, okay. if you've ever used any other stuff, it's like really high quality, high build quality stuff. Um, yeah. but yeah, essentially though, the thing to realize with this digital stuff, whether it's a Helix or an Axe or the Neural, you're essentially buying the algorithms, which you can get in plug-in form. You're buying the algorithms that are wrapped up in a hardware interface, essentially. Um, so you can essentially take the algorithms and use them, you know, in, in the context of a rig, essentially. Yeah. It's the best way to think about it.
1: I mean, do you think going back to the tube amp discussion and we could probably wrap up with, with this from a recording standpoint, do you think that the longevity of tube amps is going to live? Because I, I feel like the, the thing that is going to keep tube amps alive is more or less like the people who want to collect them and buy them and use them. At home or for gigging but as far as recording goes I feel like the technology I mean you've said it it all sounds really good and the line is just going to get more and more blurred for when people are trying to cut a record I know there's a psychological thing when you're playing it you know hearing an actual amp but in the next five to ten years what is that you know what's the next fractal thing what's the next thing gonna do to having studios full of amps like Rick's You know, is that going to be necessary? Is that going to go away?
0: Well, I would argue it's not necessary now. I mean, Rick's studio is stocked because he's been really successful on YouTube and he's, you know, a lot of this gear he either used to own or always wanted to own. And he uses it for, you know, when he can do... Rick is, is not your typical example of like a studio, the, the big reason he and I've talked about this, the big reason of why he buys all this stuff. He's not a collector. He doesn't have the collector mentality, but having access to that stuff, whenever he wants to make a video on the Brown sound or, or whatever, you know, like we did a video a couple of weeks ago on Tony Iommi sound, right? We have access to the actual stuff that was used. And Rick, when you look at his channel or you look at my channel or whatever, a lot of what we're doing, a lot of what I'm doing with this What is the Sound series is like trying to educate people and sort of like take these concepts and these ideas that might end up being lost to time and sort of preserve them and, and educate a new generation of people. I think he's doing that incredibly well. So he buys this stuff so that he can have examples and preserve examples of the real thing and then use them to basically educate people on, hey, this is how you know, um, Eddie got, you know, this is the Brown sound. This is what it is. Here's, here's Iomi's sound or like what I'm doing with the woman tone. Like I could have done this video strictly with the Helix or I have a, you know, the victory sheriff 22, like that's a great Marshall stuff, or I could have used a Marshall in a, in a box pedal kind of thing and, and gotten close to the sound. But to me, I think there's something important about at least having a physical representation of the real thing that you're trying to talk about because this is going to be preserved on the internet for ever and ever. Uh, and there may come a time when it's not easily accessible. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's one side of it. From the recording studio side of it and the home recording side of it, the best thing to happen to tube amps in the past 10 years are things like the Ox and the Captor X. Because yeah. now... It makes sense to be able to have something like a hundred watt Marshall in your home studio, because you can actually use it. You can spend some money on a good amp or a couple of good amps, spend some money on the ox or the captor X. You don't have to have a huge mic cabinet full of tens of thousands of dollars of mics. You don't have to have all the different mic pres and EQs and compression and everything to get really, really great sounds at home or in your you know small studio so i think things like that are a big part of what's going to keep tube amps alive and relevant for the next 20 years
1: yeah absolutely i I honestly right after i got my aux i was like oh i should i just want to have like what you have and just have like a rack of just heads because now it's like useful but uh uh in the comments random pants 8.0 said if i'm paying mega money to record in any studio i want to play the amps and that, that's that's a thought but when someone's pl- like listening to them to your to music with earbuds streaming through the internet i mean it's going to matter to you but is it going to matter to the listener is it going to sound but
0: here's the thing here's the thing on that point though because it, it because it matters to you the player the person recording it's going to end up mattering to the listener. The listener, 99% of people that are listening to music don't give a shit about what mics were recorded and what cab, what speakers that they have, or even if it was a guitar on the track or whatever. But they do care about the performance. And you and I, all musicians know that, especially guitar players know that the sound, the, the relationship between the guitar and the amp or the sounds that you're using inspires the performance right and so right. it it all matters i've talked to people with recording studios about you know eventually one day i would like to have a console mm-hmm. there's no need to have a console in a studio at this point there's no need with things like you know apollo stuff and plugins and everything you don't need a 24 channel or 40 channel analog desk but i've talked to people that own them and they say there's a few reasons why for a commercial studio people want to see the desk They want to walk in the control room and they want to see that big SSL console or Neve console or whatever it is. It doesn't matter in terms of the tone, but it will matter in the psychology of working in that space and being in a space where you as an artist feel like you're going to capture a great performance. And if having the desk in there is part of what lends that sort of effect, then it matters. Same thing with the real amp. If you go to a recording studio and you're like, yeah. Well,
1: I was just gonna I was just gonna make a counterpoint. Like, just from my experience, which is very limited, every time I've ever recorded and, and I've not been in the room with the amp, and I'm just listening through monitors or something, I I find that very difficult. It could be my amp, the sound I got, but the moment I'm not hearing the speaker move the air in the room, it, it sucks a lot of the life out of my hands for some reason. And with that feeling i mean at least for me and this is again this is very limited experience like i i just struggle to find that connection in a studio and if i can get the sound out of something where it's coming through monitors anyway does i don't know you you see what i'm trying to say
0: yeah i do i do i just think like from my experience Sort of the tangible effect of of just playing the real thing in the room, the psychological effect, playing the real thing. Again, we hear with our eyes, man. We do. Like, as much as you might not want to admit it, like, when you if you're in the studio or on stage or whatever and you look over and you see that half stack or you see that whatever thing looking back, it has an effect. And I think that will be a contributing factor to why tube amps stay relevant. And and sure. people will continue to find ways to keep them alive and to source tubes and to source transformers and all the stuff that is needed to to keep them going. Um, I mean, dude, look at like the classic car industry, right? Like that's a massive, massive worldwide industry dedicated to keeping classic cars on the road. Why? They're not better than than modern cars. They're not safer. They're not faster. In fact, in every sort of measurable way, objectively, most classic cars are worse than modern cars. But people love them. Yeah. Myself included. I have a 73 Ford LTD, which is arguably a terrible car. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> but I love it. And every time I drive it, I feel something that I cannot feel in a modern car. Even a, a fast super cool expensive whatever when i drive my old ford it gives me a feeling that i can't get anywhere else and for that i'm gonna put thousands of dollars tens of thousands of dollars into keeping that car on the road for the next 20 years
1: right and and that's one of those things too i mean like you know that that's why there's this industry propping up that whole you know whole part of the community that's into that you know like vintage cars and at the same time, cause I have a vintage car. I have woman, well, I my dad I actually have a couple that I own, but my 59 Cadillac, my Ecto one. Um, it's one of those things that it's to me, it's going to be like the tube amp because while eventually while that a 59 Caddy, you can buy parts for it, but that car is a little different and nothing fits. And so, People clamor and pay crazy money. So, I think what's going to happen eventually is we're going to see tubes skyrocket. And, and yeah. more and more people are going to start doing like what Brian Setzer does. He bought like a factory worth of tubes when they stopped making them and just has like a warehouse full of tubes. I think more yeah. and more people are going to start, like, you know, I know I'm going to keep the amp. I'm going to buy like this many 12AX7s, this many 6L6s, and just have them because they're not going to go bad. I don't think. I don't think no. the tubes have a shelf life
0: no that is that is true um and and that's something to consider if you have a couple of amps you know just and and it does you don't have to go out and spend six grand on buying like a warehouse or a uh, shipping container full of tubes get like three or four sets get some get some you know learn what you if you've got tube rectifiers get some gc34s or whatever get some 12x7s get you some power tubes uh and be smart about running and maintaining your amp, right? Like I try and do that now. I try and if I'm, and to be honest with you, that's why I've been using the Axe Effects and stuff a lot recently is because for what I'm doing and in the studio, most of what I'm doing doesn't require the real amps. And I want to keep these around and I want to keep them in, in great shape. And so more often than not, I'm finding myself leaning towards the digital stuff for now so that when the time comes, me to use the real thing and i'm talking about not for videos i'm talking about like when i'm sitting down to practice and like work on stuff i'm not gonna like right. fire up my divided by 13 to play for two hours just noodling around i'm gonna plug into a digital thing but when i need yeah. to record something for a video or i want to record something for a track then it then the real stuff comes out
1: sure um yeah well i think that pretty much covers that i think we, i we
0: can have, talk about this stuff all day dude I, I love i love these kind of topics
1: there's a, a lot of fodder for conversation down below so yeah. let, let us know what you think like do you think tube amps are gonna go the way of the dodo eventually or do you think it's gonna, gonna become the super niche market or are we gonna see like boutique tube manufacturers that you know buy out factories in russia um did you get your gear of the week picked out for us to talk uh about? you start you start um <laughs> <laughs> you start you go first okay well i i, I was just like i I don't want to show a pedal every week, and because I don't know. And honestly, there's a bunch. You can't see it, but there's a bunch of guitar cases in front of my, uh, uh, in front of my closet, full of pedals. I put everything in cases because the humidity is starting to drop. So take care of your guitars, kids. Yep. Um, yep. But I did grab these. Uh, let's see. So these nice. are my, these are my strings of choice. Throwback, vintage choice, pure nickel. I, I'm of the school of thought that pure nickel is the most old school sounding string with round core. Now all old strings back in the day um, had a round core on the wound strings. And these are my favorite strings. Um, Throwback has these made, I think in, yeah, they're made in Michigan. And uh, they're not like made by Diodario or Ernie Ball or whoever else, like they actually have a dude winding their strings. Nice. And they're fantastic. And they're just like eight or nine bucks. So it's not like crazy money for a, a pack of boutique strings. I you know, my my normal go to string is Ernie Ball rock and roll, like the pure nickel Ernie Ball string. That's a hex core. Um right. And they're only like five or six bucks a pack, but these are like when I when I'm wanting to treat my guitar, I throw the throwback uh, pure pure nickel round core strings on there.
0: That's interesting. I with strings, um I am usually not picky. Um, I can, I'll just put anything on usually, you know, any, I I have my preferences. Generally, it's been like NYXLs, Uh, but I played Ernie Balls for a long time. I played GHS Boomers for a long time. Just kind of whatever. With that said though, this is not my, my show of the week Um, on strings. So um, last year for my, birthday my friend Benjamin Forehand shout out uh, Benjamin is a tone connoisseur and um, for my Saris J he bought me a pack of these for my birthday these are Gabriel Tenorio strings right? and these are about as bougie I think as you can get <laughs> when it comes to strings <laughs> yeah. um, they're hand wound in LA and he does different sets in different layouts for different guitars so this is for a basically a jazz master set um it's designed with the jazz master trim and bridge in mind um and they are very 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 good for that thing now they are a little temperamental they take some time to break in when i first put the, the set on back in march it was like oh my god i hate these these are stiff and they're weird but once they broke in a little bit they're, they're glorious. So, this is, yeah, my version of I'm going to treat myself. So, if I have like a session or something coming up, I'll throw these on my Saris J and uh, and go go from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, um, if a guitar doesn't feel right, if it doesn't, sorry, um, right, the gif in the comment section, <laughs> treat, treat yourself. yourself. <laughs> treat yourself. Um, if a guitar is like feeling weird, change. You don't always necessarily have to change your gauge. But if you change just the material, I swear, and according to like the little charts on the back of like packs of strings, pure nickel has less tension. Um, mm. I don't know why. That's what they say. It might all be marketing. But when I put pure nickel strings, like when I got my Ceres TCS, RIP, by the way, um, yeah, it had just Diodario, uh, probably NYXL or whatever they use. And I put the pure nickel on it and it felt looser and it felt right immediately. So yeah, mix them up.
0: Nice. All right, so for my shill of the week, I'm going to do another piece of recording gear because I like this stuff. And I think it's important for guitar players to um, at least have a few basic things because if you have some essentials, you can do a lot. So I talked about my shotgun mic last week. That's not something I would consider essential, to be honest. But this week um, is my zoom H six handy recorder. This is a total workhorse piece of gear. I bought mine about three years ago when I started my channel. Um, it is a six input little handheld recorder that comes with a few different sort of, um, capsules isn't the right word. Yeah. Yeah. A few little dongles that you put on the end. One is a, an XY stereo condenser mic setup. The other is a mid-side condenser mic setup, and you can also get a shotgun mic version, or you can get one that is two extra XLR inputs. With that said, it has four combo inputs, so XLR quarter-inch inputs um, built into the unit. You can plug it up via USB to your computer, and it acts as an audio interface. Um, you can use it to record podcasts, you know, this is what I use to basically capture the audio on every one of my YouTube videos. And I'm very proud to say that a few times I will get comments on how crispy the audio on my video sounds. And it is the Zoom H6 plugged directly into my camera. It's just like a line out, uh, like uh, eighth inch cable out that I plug into the mic input of my camera. And it sounds fantastic. It is one of the most versatile and useful pieces of gear you can have. They're not crazy money um you can get them used there's different generations they just came out with one now i think it's called like the uh, h8 or something like that yeah um but it is amazing they sound good they're incredibly useful you can use it for you know recording podcasts you can use it for recording you know a band or a track or things like that you can take it outside and do some field recording stuff i've used it um on videos where i'm like recording an amp in a room or something like that. I'll just set it up on a tripod in the room and capture the room sound and then take you know, an, a 57 and run into one of the inputs. I've recorded gigs with it, recorded rehearsals. It is such a useful piece of gear. I would highly recommend picking one up.
1: We used one at Carter in the beginning. Um, <clears throat> all those first videos with Joey and, and all the stuff that happened when I was there was an H6. Um, I don't think you mentioned it does phantom power too. Yep, which is it's great. got built-in re-
0: compression, built-in limiting, phantom power, so you can run nice mics on it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it, and it lasts for a while on the AA batteries. It's pretty shocking. Um, yeah, but they're incredible. And, and and since the H6, yeah, they've released all sorts of new stuff. And Zoom, like I feel like people that only think of Zoom as like the 505 pedal company need to revisit Zoom at least for. Like the field recording and recording aspect of it, because they really make some incredible stuff. And and you're right, the H6 is like, if I was like you and on the go making videos, that would be the first thing I would buy because it's, it, there's, it's great. It's great.
0: Yeah, I did the whole first season of my podcast with it. Um, it's it's definitely like a prosumer product. Uh, it you know you're not gonna go you're not gonna see it on like the set of a Spielberg film, but. <sighs> Um, they make other stuff too, like Phil, uh, bass player and boom op extraordinaire. He just bought the, I think it's the M something, the M6, which is more of their like field recorder style thing. But what's cool about it is it has 32 bit, uh, like a, a floating 32 bit bit depth, which means it's got crazy high headroom on the preamps, which means you pretty much can't clip the input. Uh, it's got a crazy amount of dynamic range. Uh, the H6 doesn't have that quite, so you can't, if you're not careful, you can clip the inputs of the preamps. Um, but yeah, man, I, I really, really love it. It's, it's a die- I'm probably going to buy another one just to have around because this one stays mounted on my camera. I want to have one that I can just like quickly grab and, and take out with me. Right. So uh, yeah, Zoom H6, pick one up.
1: Get you one this holiday season. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. So <laughs> treat yourself. I just want to put this out there, and I think this would be a good thing to end on. Um, and people in the comment section when we started had mentioned this. and this has been mentioned before, and I think I'll see what you think. I think we should have everybody who's a, a Patreon member can send us their rig and maybe for like one of the last episodes this year, maybe not next week. It might be, I don't the holiday might throw off the whole podcast recording anyway. But um, we should like do like a user or a viewer uh, gig or rig. I can't talk submission thing <laughs> where we where we um, maybe re- make make recommendations. D- not like a roast or anything, but I think that would be yeah, fun.
0: Chat, chat is saying hashtag roast my rig, uh, dip my rig. Dip, dip I like dip my, my rig. rig. I like that. Maybe we could make it a weekly thing. Like we could just do a quick intro at the beginning of every episode. We just pick a rig and we dip, dip their rig. Yeah. I'm into it. So yeah. Let's make it a weekly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only going to be patrons. So you got to be a a patron via Patreons, two bucks a month. Come on. You can't afford not to buy it at that point. We got to pay. Yeah. We got to pay Milton. Um. Yeah. So we'll we'll do that next. I think we should make it a weekly thing. Like just one. Uh, we'll we'll dip one rig a week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and that'll be well, fun too. Cause like whenever I get my new Vertex board, we we can dip that one as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. The rig dip. <laughs> the rig dip. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody.
0: Yeah, this has been great. This is a fun. This is a fun episode. Um, again, huge shout out to Milton at Blue Feather Recording for mixing and editing, uh, not just the audio but the video for this. Uh, if you want more information on getting your shit mixed, <laughs> maybe he doesn't want me to say that phrase. his <laughs> <this> thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can check out Blue Feather Recording. He does all kinds of mixing and editing for stuff, um, and he's great. He's he's a good friend of mine. worked worked with him for years. A very uh, a very detailed and high-quality workman. And on that, (laughs) I guess, bye, everybody. See y'all.